everyone, and welcome to another Cat's Cradle, the show within a show where we talk about games and game mechanics, and this is the part of the intro where I always get a little tangled. Don't worry about it. This week on Cat's Cradle, we're going to be discussing something that we should have talked about a long time ago. Dices. Dice. What are they? I don't know, but I hear that you throw them before you cross rivers. Huh. I'll add that to my notes. Thank you. With me, we have Kathleen. Hello. And we have Nick. Hello. All right. So let's start the conversation by... Um. Okay, all right. Um, do we want to start by asking what everyone's favorite dices are? Or what everyone's least favorite dices are? Let's start with favorite. <laughs> He's playing the long game. I mean, everybody knows that hate gets clicks, so you have to draw them out so that our metrics look better. Oh, you put the, you put the hate in the headline so it's clickbait, and you mm-hmm. won't believe what happens next. Yeah. My favorite dices is D6 and love them. I just love those little cubes. I did most of my initial forays into game design kind of before the smartphone era when everyone could have dice rollers on their phones and just roll what the hell ever. And so a big part of me choosing to use D6s so often is how accessible they are. Like you can loot Monopoly. You can buy them at 7-Eleven. Like they're not hard to get. And even though nowadays you can roll D whatever you want with the power of the internet, I still just like them little cubes. Like them. They stack up nicely. They stack up nice, don't they? You can make little houses out of them. (laughs) So that's, I mean, we're at the top of the episode, but that's a big part of the reason why Heroic Court is a D6 dice pool system is because I like the little cubes. Yeah, I am also team little cubes. I think a lot of that just comes from the fact back in high school and college, I played a lot of tabletop war games. So the Warhammers... The war machines, all of the war blank, you know, all of those fancy games that all used gigantic piles of D6s. Yeah. Yeah, I like D6s and D12s. There's something about the way that the D12, on the D8 for that matter, are shaped that is just like (laughs) enjoyable. This kind of like (laughs) crystalline kind of structure to them. I have a tremendous sentimental attachment to D8s because my first ever D&D character was a bard. Mm. These uh, middle three dice, though, I there's something satisfying about watching them roll because they don't tumble in a circular way the way that bigger dice, like the good old icosahedron. And D10s are fun because if you're the sort of person who likes that type of crunch, you can do all sorts of decimal number things with them. Oh, yeah. Contrary to when I first started out, now that everyone can have apps or roll using roll 20 or what have you, D10s are great for calculating your percentages. It's really easy to get an idea of what your odds are on a D10. (laughs) You don't need to be a particularly advanced mathematician to do it. Uh, I think that covered all of the dice. Did we leave any of them out? Uh, as far as favorites go, no. I think I think we got it. I'm. <laughs> I also really like. It's not my favorite, but I do really like the D tens. Mm. They roll nicely. I just like them like that. If you're just messing around with them, you can roll them all on the one side, and it goes in a little circle rather than just on the one set of faces. <laughs> Also, I guess before we move on to go into the sort of like nerdy mechanical part of things, the probability curve that you get with D6s is really common and a lot of people know it and there's a lot of stuff out there on it and it's good and I like it and I want at least three of them because then you get the nice bell curve and you don't get the weird triangle and you don't get the line. I'll talk about the line later. (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be time to talk about the line. I just like the number 12. 
The number 12 has been used in a couple of pre-modern counting systems famously, and I really like writing music in 12-8. And what's fun about it is that you can divide it in a whole bunch of like sort of standard useful ways. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a powerhouse mathematically. Yeah, divide it in half or divide it into third, divide it into quarters, divide it into sixths. All different sorts of flavor. Mm-hmm. Versatile and delicious. So before we talk about least favorite dice, before we talk about the dice we all hate, just want to hit with a hammer. <laughs> I'm I'm exaggerating, of course. Don't don't hit your dice with a hammer. The uneven faces will cause your hammer to bounce off in a weird direction, and who knows what'll happen. They'll do it. What are some really interesting dice mechanics that you've run into? Because of course, dice are dice. You make a solid, you put some facets on it, you put some numbers on the facets, you chuck it around, you get numbers. Beautiful. We can all agree that's a wonderful concept. Thank you, Agent World, for the sheep knuckle bones. I think probably my favorite dice mechanic has to be roll keep. I think that's probably my favorite. Uh, I've seen some really interesting versions, but most of the ones that I'm really enamored with, such as the Legends of the Wulin style, are... Well, okay, Legends of the Wulin is very is very weird, but uh, while I really enjoy it from sort of a nerd perspective, it's not my favorite because it is kind of complicated... It's about basically like creating pairs or three of a kind has more of a like almost a card matching or I guess uh, to use the flavor more of a Mahjong style of like creating little bits and pieces out of the dice that you roll. And it's very interesting, but again, it's very complicated. But when it comes to just real simple, straightforward, I like roll keep systems. Number one, the math on it is a little bit harder on the developer, which we will get more into as, as we move on, but once you sort of get over the hurdle and understand kind of how the probability in roll keep systems work, I think it's really easy to play around with and it's really easy to modify and I think it feels good to roll. And one of the big things about roll keep is essentially as the player gets better, they're rolling more dice that makes the player more consistent. Just mathematically, it makes the player more consistent. And that's kind of what you expect out of somebody who is good at what they do, that they're they, they should be able to do the good thing most of the time because that's just kind of how getting better at things works. My favorite thing about roll keep systems is something that I bring up a lot in Cat's Cradle. And it's one of the underlying principles of Heroic Chord, even though it didn't make it into Heroic Chord, it's dice mechanic, is roll keep gives you the freedom to choose failure. I remember running into a situation while playing Legend of the Five Rings where it was like, you need to make an attempt at this, but you absolutely cannot let yourself succeed because of honor reasons or social pressures or what have you. And being good at the thing means you roll more dice. You have more dice to choose from. You can choose the bad ones. And I thought that was just an absolute revelation. Speaking of the freedom to choose failure, Kathleen... Because <laughs> we have a favorite game that is just a dice mechanic. Yep, 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 yep. My favorite <laughs> TTRPG of all time might be Ghost Echo. Ghost Echo is two pages long, barely, and it is just a dice mechanic. And the entirety of Ghost Echo is basically you roll two dice, sometimes you roll a third. You choose one dice to represent how well you do at a task and another die to represent how good you are at avoiding the consequences. And that's the entire game, and it plays thriller and horror stuff so, so well. Anyone can pick it up. If you want to do a one-shot sometime, I would highly recommend you try it out. No, absolutely. We've played this in IRC. We've played this over voice. We played this game a lot. We love Ghost Echo. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a dice mechanic. That's pretty much all of the mechanics in the game are the one dice mechanic. But it was such an inspiration to me because of that freedom to choose failure that's involved in the dice mechanic. I think anytime you're rolling the dice and then making a choice 
about the dice you've rolled, that's instantly fascinating to me. That's instantly like it lights up my brain. I adore it. Yeah. Something that I have been seeing a little bit in video games, and I don't know if there are tabletop games that are doing this, but I have seen a lot of video games that sort of use the language of rolling, but what they're doing behind the scenes is something more like cards, Hmm. where you have a deck of possibilities and it cycles through the deck. Hmm. Or there are mechanics that are like, it is random, but the mechanics get weighted towards you getting a good outcome if you haven't had one for a very long time and sort of ways to smooth out the randomness in RPGs. And that's something that is very video gamey. But I wonder what it would be like in a tabletop RPG to instead have a deck of outcomes that you cycle through. I mean, I don't think it's strictly um, video gaming. That's also something you see uh, in board games. Board games do that all the time. That's true. You see that in board games a lot. Yeah. And I love a good TTRPG-adjacent board game. Hmm. Yeah, I would still like to do a, a card deck, like, an, you know, like playing cards or something like that based tabletop RPG at some point. But while there is a ton of information out there on card probability, it is very different from dice. And it updates a lot more dynamically, obviously, as you're going through the deck because, you know, yeah, you start uh, removing possibilities that it could be. And that is super cool, but it is also a lot of work to wrap your head around that kind of probability. And especially if you're going to try and do any sort of like balancing mechanically around those sorts of mechanics, because obviously, you know, you don't want, basically you don't want the player to get stuck down a, you are going to fail soon route. Cause that's, that's a feel bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you will eventually succeed is fine. Again, players do not mind if you cheat in their favor. So as long as it's not incredibly competitive, I say go for it. Who cares? Cards are a really popular choice in solo journaling games, like the Carta Engine, which I made, or uh, the Wretched and Alone system by Matt Sanders and Chris Bissett. I think because when you use a deck of cards, you can assign an experience to each card And know that they won't be repeated if you just go through the deck. So for journaling games where you're writing out prompts, you want to minimize repetition, obviously. So, Yeah, there's sort of two facets of the doing something with cards. Um, If you've got large decks and large hands, you're not going to be repeating. But as you start limiting the pool, you're able to predict very well when things are going to repeat or when things are going to run out. And that's a completely different dynamic of play. I think it's a really interesting one. And again, I would like to try something out with it at one point, but also one of the problems with card mechanics, and I guess this is more of a problem from a playability standpoint, is that card mechanics in something like an RPG start to fall into the same category as say like freeform jazz or math rock where if you are really into <laughs> those sorts of things, you are going to love it. And if you are not, you are going to just bounce off of it harder than you've ever bounced off of anything. Mm. So I was talking about how um, cards are popular for solo journaling games because most solo journaling games are not particularly mechanically deep. They're not usually about probabilities to any deep mechanical extent. The cards are a vehicle for experiences. So you want each one to be unique and then you move through the game and the odds of playing the same game twice are infinitesimal. That's how you do it. And the second guess system by Game Nomicon is a dice based. It's 1D20 and it makes, it plays like a normal, like it's a solo journaling game where you have a list of 20 prompts, but something different happens if you double up. So it kind of takes advantage of that potential for repetition that dice have that cards don't. 
to take what is normally a structure that people use cards for and iterate on it in what I thought was a really interesting way. I wrote a second guest game. It's called It Is Written. It's about telling fortunes and not falling in love. (laughs) I mean, look, I'm going to give away the moral of the story early and we're going to talk more. There's a lot to say about this mechanic, but the moral of the story is you genuinely need to care about and think about how you want your game to feel. When you're picking a dice mechanic or a random outcome mechanic, this is going to be just like the gut feel of your game. This is the mood of your game. This is the colors of paints that you choose. This is your cinematography. This is the invisible thing that determines what your game feels like. So it's really important (laughs) to, to think about random outcome mechanics. And also they're just fun. Yeah. I just love them. <laughs> also, after talking about this one day, I want to make a random outcome mechanic that uses Mahjong tiles, but maybe that's getting too far down the TTRPG math rock rabbit hole. Maybe, but <laughs> you are talking to someone on the call who studied some of the music that John Cage and buddies wrote um, that was using I Ching and other aleatoric methods for composition and performance. So what you're saying is I have a good audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, she's got you there, bud. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what we're going to do is, with your permission, I think we're going to get on the on-ramp and we're going to talk about some common random outcome generators and how they feel and why they feel that way. So we're, we're really sandbagging least favorite this hard? <laughs> No, this is the on-ramp to least favorite, Nick. Okay. <laughs> this is the on-ramp to least favorite. I promise. It's it's building tension. It's hyping it up. <laughs> it's giving it space to build. Doctors hate it. <laughs> so when I was in college, I tell a lot of stories on Cat's Cradle about being in college. But... One thing that we did very early is we shifted from a 1D20 system to a 3D6 system. And the reason we did that was twofold. One of them was, like I mentioned before, they were easy to get and you always had to have physical dice pretty much back in that day. But also the curve of 3D6 is reliable. As a game designer, you can pretty easily predict 3D6. Vast majority of roles are going to be hovering in the 10 range. It's an even bell curve. You still have very splashy triple ones and triple sixes, but you don't have them very often. They feel very special. And for the most part, our game mod revolved around characters making spells by building their own difficulties for skill roles and then trying to roll over those difficulties So 3D6 made it very easy for us to say, if I build a spell with a difficulty of 12, my odds are good. Forget like adding things to the dice or what have you. But it made it easier not only for us as game designers to determine difficulties for things, but it also made it easier for players to understand their odds of certain actions and for players to build their own difficulties. It was a lot more reliable while still having a sense of adventure to it. (laughs) I think there's something very sturdy feeling about 3D6 that has always got a special place in my heart. It's sturdy, but it also doesn't take too many dice. It's easy to read. And with 3D6, you still have the advantage of having a really smooth out curve, but still being able to care a lot about each individual value. And like, it's not too bad to add up three things sort of instantly in your head. Yeah. Kathleen has just brought up something in her incidental casual way that I realize is something you should never forget about and is extremely instrumental and important. And that's, well, it's Kathleen for you, is how easy is it to read your dice? Because... Players are going to be rolling dice every time they try to accomplish something in your game. How much time does it take for them to determine whether or not that action succeeded or failed? How much cognitive load is it on a player to drop the dice and then interpret what the dice say? Because like Kathleen mentioned, 3D6 is easy to read. It's arithmetic under 10. 
There's only three of them. Part of the reason I like success systems so much is that once you get used to a success system, you just zoom in like that one, that one, that one, that one, forget everything else. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice that lots of systems that have you roll large number of dice pretty much only have you care about successes or only have you care about sixes or Mm -hmm. that sort of thing because you're not going to add up 15 dice unless you're casting fireball at a high level in Dungeons and Dragons, which is its own thing. It's its own thing. But if you've got three dice, it's pretty easy to be like, oh, 13, oh, eight. But if you've got six on the table, it's like, well, hmm. And I think that that is the biggest flaw with some of the other dice types. For instance, I find a D4 is hard to read. You kind of have to tilt your head. You have to get down on the dice's level. I see it. And like one in four is not a very satisfying probability to me. Mm. I feel like I should have just flipped two coins or something. Mm -hmm. So maybe we have hit the superhighway of least favorite dice for Kathleen. I don't particularly like D4s. They don't do much for me. Can I also say, remember your earlier point in the episode about watching dice roll? Mm-hmm. D4s just kind of plop. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of go there. They just kind of go there. No. No appeal. They're little yeah. caltrops more than they are dice. <laughs> no appeal. Unless you get the crystalline ones that are like square with the pointed mm-hmm. ends. And you roll Those them? ones roll. Yeah. Yeah. Those ones roll. Those are nice. I like them. But the little uh, pyramid ones... Not for me. I do want to actually mention one thing before we move on to um, when it comes to counting up dice. If counting up dice is a rare, quote unquote, rare occasion, such as the very high level fireball, then it's good that it takes a little bit of time because you want the players to be like, oh, look at how much cool stuff I did. Oh, I get to count up all of these dice and oh, it's this huge number. Like, mm-hmm. that's a good feel, but that feels good because you're only doing that once or twice like a combat you know whereas you are rolling your your one little d20 all the time i really like large dice pool success reading Mm -hmm. i think it captures that awesome feeling of a fistful of dice being really cool and good at something but is still much kind of easier on the cognitive lobe than rolling fireball I've played a lot of first edition Scion from White Wolf. Is -hmm. it a good game? No. Does it make you feel like a huge, cool badass? Yes. (laughs) And it's like, well, here's the like 15 dice I roll when I'm doing anything to deal with computers. Here we go. Party hard. And you feel great. You feel cool. It's (laughs) if you want your game to feel kind of big and epic, Maybe you want lots of dice. Like whether you go with successes or totals depends on how many dice and like Nick said, how often you're making these kinds of rolls. But if you want a big epic feel, you could do worse than a big fistful of dice. I also do like the big fistful of dice again in roll keep systems like uh, L5R or Shadowrun or Uh, White Wolf and like a few others of that sort of thing. I like it there because one of the issues, and this even shows up with with like, you know, 3D6 roll over roll under, is the fact that usually the way that the math works out, you are going to try and aim for a certain like, you know, the players should be rolling this most of the time, regardless of where they are in the game, which usually tends to mean that you're going to mostly be rolling the same or very similar results the entire time that you're going to be in those systems. Whereas, you know, obviously if you're in a roll keep system, as you get better, you get more dice. It is a very immediate and tactile, you know, difference between I am a starting character, I am a veteran character, I am a super awesome, you know, big damn hero character. Again, there's that tactile, immediate response to those sorts of things, which, look, I'm a simple person. I love that kind of stuff. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's the one thing to be said. So sort of as a general rule, 
the more dice you're rolling, the more consistent your outcomes are going to be. Yeah. More dice feels big and good and cool, but it also weirdly mechanically provides a lot of stability. Mechanically, it is big and cool. (laughs) Yeah. Fewer dice are swingier. You're going to see flatter distributions. You're going to see numbers all over the place. And they're also, by and large, simpler. I will begin this conversation by saying a thing in defense of 1D20. And then I yield the floor to Nick. (laughs) In defense of 1D20, it is just a little flick of the wrist. You can have players roll dice freaking constantly if you're rolling a single die system. It's easy. You don't have to gather them up. You don't have to add them up. You toss it, you read it. So for games in which there are a lot of random outcomes, single die, if you're willing to put up with all the things that are about to come, you could do worse than single die. I yield my time. Okay, I, I guess we've we've let it go on long enough. My <laughs> least favorite dice and dice system is 1D20. I he hates it. absolutely hate it. It is the worst. He hates it so much. It is so bad. The fact that it's really popular is awful. Any game that uses 1D20 as its primary resolution mechanic feels like crap. I do not like it. I have avoided a lot of really cool games because I took a look at the 1D20 results mechanic and went, no, thank you. I will try something else. Looking at you, Lancer. Looking at you, Pathfinder 2E. Looking at you, D&D in general since forever. I'm currently in a 4E campaign that's been going on for a long time. And boy, am I... I think that's where I learned to hate this system is... (laughs) Okay, in, in defense of Lancer, 90% of Lancer rules could be made on any single die because they're basically a coin flip. <laughs> that doesn't help, I know. <laughs> but it's, it's specifically using the D20 just to mess with me. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I understand why 1D20 is really common because D&D is the most popular tabletop RPG on the planet and it has been since the 70s. And if you want to get people on board with your game real fast, say, hey, we use 1D20 just like just like the big one. The icosahedron is a like big iconic shape at this point, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, most viruses are icosahedrons. Mm-hmm. But like, I have role-playing merch that's just like stickers, and I have a really cool patch that's got an icosahedron on it. It's shorthand for TTRPG Gamer at this point, isn't it? A little bit. It it is a little bit, you know, unfortunately. But to drill down into more of the reasons why I don't like it, like the biggest thing is just the fact that it's really swingy. You have the same chance to roll any of the numbers as any of the other numbers, which you think, oh, well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. But no, actually, on other systems, for example, 3D6, you do not have the same, you know, percentage chance to roll the different numbers. 3D6 is 3 to 18. It is not the same for each of those. Rolling a 3 or rolling an 18 are much, much smaller than rolling a 10. Mm-hmm. Two standard deviations. Step in and say that if if what you want for your game is that every possible outcome is equally likely, single die. But please do this thoughtfully. So one of the other things that this does, and I one of the big reasons why I know a lot of games are designed this way is uh, the math is very simple. Plus one on a one d twenty is five percent. It's always five percent. Two is ten percent. Three is 15%. It's always that. It's always flat. It's really easy to do. You know, we want to make the the player X percentage more powerful, so we are going to give them, you know, X divided by 20. Um, 
for 3d6 for example if you are looking for the player to get 10 plus one is actually gigantic plus one is a 12 percent roughly thereabouts chance to hit 10 from a nine plus one is a big deal in a 3d6 you know roll over slash roll i guess it'd be roll over minus one roll under the point is changing up or down one is a huge deal in 3d6 so you as the developer and the designer need to do a lot more you know design and development on the system to make sure that things smooth out which is one of the other reasons why i like roll keep because the math in roll keep is it's still a little messy but it's a lot easier for people to sort of understand and you can also shortcut roll keep in your head pretty quickly you know you can say oh well you know, if, if I'm succeeding on a four plus on a, you know, a D6, then I need two for one, four for two, six for three, et cetera. That's not exactly how it shakes out, but it's close enough that you can do, you know, napkin math to get to where you want to go. Whereas with 3D6, again, that plus one is huge. Like that is really, really big. Plus two, still pretty big. Plus three, they actually even out. Plus three is about 15% in both a D20 and a 3D6, but once you start to get past that, then you actually see a pretty big fall off. You know, like a plus five in a 3D6 system, I think is still, is actually under 25%. The reason that the math is the way it is in Heroic Chord is because every die in Heroic Chord has a one-third chance of being a success, one-half chance if you keep an edge success. So whatever number the players are rolling... A third of them are going to be successes usually. Half of them might be. Easy math. (laughs) Easy. One of the other things, though, is as the player, you aren't needing to do the crunch in your head. Again, the, the developer, the designer, they're the ones who should have done that, you know, ahead of time. So when you see, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm guaranteed, well, guaranteed what the point is, you know, I. A third of the time it goes my way, but I can push my luck if I want half of the time. And that's something that, again, like you can do real quick and easy math in your head and get close enough, you know, um, it doesn't take a whole lot to run those odds in your head. And as the player, that's great. You can do other similar things, you know, with three rolls and all that other stuff. But with 1d20, you're stuck. You have two things you can do in 1d20. You can re-roll or you can add flat pluses. Now, that being said, the addition of advantage and disadvantage in 5e is actually, I really like that, mostly just because you're rolling more dice, although it does mean disadvantage sucks a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But rolling more dice is good, again, because it smooths things out. Uh, This story that I always tell, and I'm going to tell it here because we haven't told it on the podcast yet, but I've told it to everybody else multiple times, is during the big climactic scene in Swords of the Wastes, Cobb rolls seven dice to jump off the boat and gets no successes, which is amusing. And Kat was very, very nice to me that Cobb didn't just completely, you know, break his neck or anything like that. But if Cobb had rolled seven times and failed seven times in Dungeons and Dragons, that is seven turns. That is like an hour and a half of playtime that you didn't do anything. And that sucks. And real randomness is streaky. As Kathleen brought up earlier, the video games massage these numbers to avoid this. But you will just sometimes hit two or three ones in a row. In D&D, like you can go two or three turns rolling threes or under. I've done that many times in 4E. Now, you are equally as likely to roll, you know, 20, 20, 20 in a row, but you are going to, as the player, you're going to remember the really shitty streaks a lot more than you are going to remember, like, the hot streaks. Unless, you know, you have a really crazy one, then that'll be like, oh, it was so cool. But the, I rolled a three and then a two and then a four and then a three and wasted an hour and a half of game time, like that is just going to grate on you. You are not going to be having fun. And it's not because you picked a bad class. It's not because you did the wrong thing. It's not because you did, you know, there's nothing that you did 
it's just, that's the way that randomness is. You know, that's the way that true randomness is. It, it'll do that sometimes. But when you're rolling a lot of dice and that happens, that was one turn. Like Cobb was out one turn and we were immediately back into it in like five minutes. So it, it is the difference between, you know, being aw shucks for five minutes or aw shucks for an hour and a half. And that is actually why I dislike 1d20 so badly is just the fact that it is so easy for it to just shut somebody out of a game one night you know and, and i speak as somebody who plays a lot of card games and stuff like that yeah bad beats happen like i know they happen but you know when you're playing for example a card game and you lose a hand or you lose a game or you lose a match especially if you're playing a digital card game you can just click find me another person and you're back into it you know in like a minute but when you're sitting with your friends and you got to go through everybody's turn, you're going to be out of it for a long time. And as we've been getting older, we have less and less spare time. Like I can't, one thing I just physically cannot play games for that long anymore. You know, like I've got about three hours in me before I start to just drift off. I can't do eight hour marathons like I used to back in high school. I just can't do that anymore. So if I'm going to spend, you know, two thirds of my fun time feeling like crap. I don't want to do that. Like I want to be cool and feel cool and systems that lean much closer to a more consistent experience. I just find I, I have a lot more fun with them. I really like heroic chords because it is such a fast and easy system and we can have a lot of fun in an hour. And if I screw up, you know, a turn, well, whatever, it comes back around to us pretty quickly, and there's plenty of other things for you to do in the system, whereas in D&D, when it's not your turn, you're not doing anything. You're just, you're doing nothing. Well, okay, that's not entirely true. Sometimes you have, you know, reactions or interrupts or something like that, whereas in Heroic Chord, when it's the GM's turn, where it's the encounter's turn, it's, you know, the encounter's going to do this, it costs this much, do you want to, you know, yes or no? And that lets everybody you know, talk about it and get into it, and you're still actively playing the game. And can I tell you a secret? Mm-hmm. One of the key reasons for the way that the new encounter system was redesigned, which involved adding successes to the pool on your rolls, one of the main reasons for that was so that the odds of wasting a turn would be negligible. Because there's no difficulty on that roll, you just add your successes and you hardly ever get no successes. So that was deliberately to cut down on wasted turns because it feels bad. Um, my question is though, how much of that bad feel, that yucky feeling, that icky, icky feeling that we're describing, how much of it is D&D's combat mechanics and how much of it is the choice of 1D20 as a resolution system? Could you make a 1D20 game that didn't do that to a person? Uh, yes, you would just be rolling 1D20 a lot, so that way it would feel less like 1D20. Alternatively, feel-forward mechanics, I think, are a whole other discussion. But what is your feeling about something as swingy as 1D20 in a system that is very much built around fail forward. I would be a lot more up for something like that in a fail forward system, simply because of the fact that like, it feels like you're still doing things, you know, you're still accomplishing something. I think probably the, my biggest, I guess, complaint about the single D20 is just the fact that it is usually tied to a hard fail state. You do not do the thing. Mm -hmm. It's not, you do something else or you kind of do the thing, you do not do the thing. You know, you do not hit the monster. You do not, you know, break the door down. You do not climb the fence. You do not remember the thing. It's the hard fail state of feeling like time is wasted. Whether or not time is wasted, like that's actually not that important as to what it feels like. Yeah. That's extremely important to remember as you're designing games you can have a game that is mathematically ironclad, but if it feels bad, it feels bad. Like, <laughs> that 
that's that's all there is to it. If it feels bad, it feels bad. And a lot of the things that make a game feel bad, they have to do with the math, but not on the surface. In the background. For example, you know, if you're playing a video game and you do a thing and it doesn't work, well, one of the big things about video games is just the fact that you are doing the thing a lot. So like take, for instance, Call of Duty, any shooter, you know, trying to hit somebody with with the bullet from your gun is a thing. If you miss, well, usually your gun has a lot more bullets so you can try again and again and again and again. And there's still an opportunity cost from having missed that gives someone else an opportunity to like shoot back or whatever or get out of position while you are reloading. Yeah, but it's just the time frame between missing, you know, the hard fail state of you missed your shot and you get to try again in a lot of games is like under a second. Mm -hmm. So it's not a big deal if there's a hard fail state because you can try again almost immediately in a tabletop RPG a turn, especially if you have like a lot of people at the table, you know, maybe if the table's like a GM and three, eh, not a big deal. But my D&D group is like six people, you know, we're, we're cool with it and everything. And we have been for a while. We've been very lucky in that sense that we get along that well. But the point is, if you miss your turn, it can take 40, 50 minutes to come back around to you sometimes, you know, if, if it's a really big turn and people are going to go off and they're using all of their powers and all this other stuff. It can take a while. So having the multiple failures, again, takes, you know, in a video game, that is like maybe five seconds. In a tabletop game, that can be hours. Something that I feel like I have either said or thought a bunch on this show is that game mechanics are the player's way of interfacing with a story. Whenever you are rolling dice in a tabletop RPG, I think there is a degree to which you are communicating as the player, like, this is important to me. This is important to the story. Something is going to happen as a result of rolling. And if you don't get to roll very often, you want those things to be impactful. And... I think that that gets to the heart of what Nick is saying with some of these. You roll one die that's very swingy, and if it goes bad, then just nothing happens. It's very. I think that's one of the reasons that he finds it so unsatisfying, as he's been saying. Mm-hmm. Like, this is your opportunity to shape the world, and then it doesn't. Yeah, what well, well. And maybe that's one of the reasons why everyone has house-ruled critical failures in to their Dungeons & Dragons game, like on skill checks and stuff, because it brings some excitement back to failure. Mm, Okay, I hear you, yeah. Fumbles are not in Dungeons & Dragons. They have never been one of the rules in the books. But about half of the tables that I know play with fumbles, because then it makes it funny. It makes it exciting. It makes something like memorable happen when you roll a one. It gives you something to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, again, one of the things that I really like about Heroic Court is that is kind of already rolled into the system with the edge successes. And this is one of the reasons why I almost always take them. They are exciting, unpredictable things, but you still did the thing. And I really like that. And I know Heroic Court isn't the only system that does that, but it's the (laughs) one that I have the most experience with, and I really like it about that. Mm -hmm. Yay! And I think that that's one of the reasons why Powered by the Apocalypse games, when they work well, or um, my other hobby horse game, Blades in the Dark, is that they both have some sort of fail-forward mechanics, whereas if the role does not do good, there are narrative consequences and... If you're playing, like, and if the group's all in sync, like, those can be very, very interesting. Like, I have absolutely had Blades in the Dark heists where all of the excitement came from the roles not doing good and consequences stacking up and up and up. 
I'd like to reiterate something that I said earlier in the episode. And that's that it's important to choose the random outcome mechanic that's right for your game because they all feel different. They're going to be different for you as a designer. They're going to require different kinds of thinking from you as a designer, but they're going to feel different for your players. And choosing a random outcome mechanic that drives home the feeling that you want your game to have is going to make your game more effective in ways that will be largely invisible to most players. They may not notice the difference in in probability between a 3D6 and 1D20 system. They may not even think about it. But they'll know that the big, huge failures and the dizzying successes are special and rare. So think about a lot of different options. You have a ton of options in front of you. It's not just dice either. Virtually any way of generating a random outcome can be used to build a game. I'm an indie designer. I'll do anything. Don't test me. They will. You ever played a game where you uh, do your random outcome by drawing lots? Like, they're out there. They can be real cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I guess if there's... <laughs> that, that's my major, my major thesis here is to think about what kind of feel you want your game to have and try to choose a game mechanic that drives it home. And if you want everything to have an equal probability and you want rules that are frequent and easy to read, I'm not going to be mad at you for picking 1D20. Nick will, but I won't. I'll forgive you. I yield my time. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't have 1D20 based combat that is similar to D&D, we'll be okay. If you do, looking at you, Lancer, then we'll have trouble. (laughs) <laughs> well, that was trouble and problems at the same time there. At least with Lancer combat, you are generally firing multiple weapons and that sort of thing. You get a few more rolls in there, but yeah. I just remember the one time that I played Lancer, I think the first combat I wound up jumping out of my mech and hitting somebody with a sword because I kept missing with my gun. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, that's a that's a 1D20 story. <laughs> but I'm a big weirdo. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Go make your D20 systems. It'll be fine. <laughs> Listen, we love Nick so much. I just I just need to I need to let the listener know that we're real big Nick fans on this podcast. <laughs> you are such a grumpy old man, my dude. <laughs> My beloved dude, my very favorite. Look, I'm, <laughs> and good, I love I'm, it. I'm good at it. I, I literally never want you to change. Oh, the best in the biz. <laughs> Kathleen, your thoughts, your feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like dice. Dice are good. Um, I like thinking about dice when I get to roll dice. I like to think, oh, I rolled good and bad. Am I going to succeed or am I going to be safe? Oh, I wonder what my GM is going to give me on this edge success. Or like, okay, is it the time to roll the extra die? That's not really a conclusion. That's just stuff I like. I think we're getting to that point of the recording. (laughs) Yeah, I think if you if you want to make a game for Kathleen, consider mechanics that let you think strategically about the dice after they've been rolled. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you want that game to appeal to Cat, do it because Cat loves that kind of stuff too. And if you have a game like that, Cat, where can they send it to? So you can send it to us on Twitter at Peach Garden RPGs, or you can use the form on our website at PeachGardenGames.com, and that'll send me an email to me, Cat. I would like to see it. You can also let us know about your cool game on the Heroic Discord, which is linked in our pinned tweet on Twitter. Come join us. It's a cool little community of game designers and 
A lot of queer weebs. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we even have a work in progress section that you can show us all the cool things you're working on. Yes. Please, please. It's a lot of fun. Everyone has a good time reading what everyone else is working on. Yes, please. If you are here for more podcast content about games, or if part of you lit up when I said the words queer weebs, then you can also find us on the Be Gay Roll Dice Network Discord. Yeah, it's super cool. You want to see more wet and wild, interesting RPG systems? Control Group is a playtest podcast. They do something new every couple of weeks, playing all sorts of fun and silly and great indie stuff. But Kathleen, I want that, but I also want to get attached to recurring characters. Hmm. What about the Eternity Archives? I heard they won an award. They did win an award. Well, as you can tell, we we love our network siblings. We love them. They're all wonderful and beautiful. And we would love for you to join the network Discord and hang out. And if after all of that, you're just like, hey, this old grumpy person who keeps talking about dice, I think that they're right and they deserve rewards. Where can they give us rewards, Kat? <laughs> We have got both a Kofi page and a Patreon, and you can access both of them by going to peachgardengames.com and clicking the support us link in the top. If you don't want to support us financially, then you can leave a rating or a review on our podcast, and that helps people find us, and it's free. Uh But if you just want to keep listening, thanks for doing that. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, thanks, listener. And we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network. Bored of D&D? Want to try something else? Why not check out Control Group? We test systems so you don't have to. Using our patented mini-campaigns along with one-shots, we test how far you can stretch systems with our unique ideas and broad storytelling. Our mission statement is to give a voice to those not often heard in the TTRPG community. So whether it be a system you've never heard of, or our testers being people of color, people on the LBGTQIA spectrum, we want to make sure our stories are broad, vast, and told from different perspectives. So whether you want classic role-playing or just big goofs, come listen to us try out systems, some of which we've even made ourselves. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or head over to controlgrouppod.com. That's CTRL, just like the key on your keyboard. There you can find the systems we test along with easily accessible PDFs. So check us out if you're into Monster of the Week, Passion Dallas, Passionis, A Saw of Fire and Ice, Blazers and Feelings, Gunsight, Void Worlds, Wizards and Wands, Stranded, Interstitial, The Last Shonen, and so much more!